reflects your freedom. We say this all the time because we mean it sincerely from the depths of our heart. And I don't know if ever in my particular, in my own lifetime, have I meant it more than I mean it now. So it is a particular pleasure for me to connect with people who understand the importance of that phrase of the word freedom and who not only like post a bumper sticker on their car saying that they appreciate freedom or, you know, thank a veteran, but they really go out there and do everything they can to advocate and pursue freedom in their own lives and in the lives of others. Today's guest is certainly no exception. Diana Muller, I am so excited to have connected with you and to get to sit down and dig into your story and your background and your work a little more. Um, not only as a law enforcement officer, I do want to talk about your time in that field because it's really important to give people perspective on the human beings behind the badges. And um, also, of course, your work as an advocate for the Second Amendment, which I cannot believe feels like it is at risk in this country. It is still very difficult for me to acknowledge that it is um, at risk in this country. It is just, I never would have imagined that happening years ago, but yet here we are. So I'm so grateful for people like you. Let's get into it, shall we? Yes. Thank you for having me. And it's a pleasure to meet you. I, I, you're amazing. I love what you're doing. And uh, I, yeah, let's, let's jump right into the deep end. Let's jump right in. There was a time in my life where I would have been intimidated as hell to sit down and speak with you, by the way. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad I moved past well, that little period. Let's, do that. let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's like for another another therapy session, I guess. But uh, yeah, just a little moment of self-awareness I had that I blurted out, out of my mouth. So mm -hmm. here we go. All right, let's get into it first because you are right now one of the I would I would say you are at the forefront among the people at the forefront of the Second Amendment movement here, which is vitally important. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about your career as a law enforcement officer, because once again, it's another thing that never would I have imagined we would see police officers under, under attack. attack and assault and villainized the way that you all have been. So what? let's get into um, when did your career start and what drove you as a woman to get into law enforcement? Because that's not, you know, I, what most right. little girls dream up, grow up dreaming of being. Yeah, yeah, well, it's better than a truck driver, which is what the little girl wanted to do. So um, <laughs> my, father, my father was a, um, a Missouri State Highway Patrolman in his younger years. And, um, and then he went into insurance and his insurance office was right across the street from the police station. So my dad always had it in his blood. And, um, you know, I guess that's kind of where it came from. And it was a, it was a wonderful career. And, you know, you talk about how you can't believe this is happening and I can't either, but you know, if I frame it correctly, at least it doesn't, it, it helps me and my sanity. And, and, and I believe that the whole thing is a spiritual warfare and that, you know, that the devil is here to create chaos and to steal and destroy. Uh, and if you look at it in that context that, you know, he, these people that are, these people that are in, implementing these policies and some of our leaders and some of our politicians, they may not be failing. They may not be inept. They may not be, you know, they might just be doing the bidding of somebody else besides, you know, our American heart. So I think that's why it's important. I never paid attention to politics. I'm pretty sure that I'm like 
90% of America, maybe 95% of America that don't get involved locally, don't get involved at a state or federal level, and really just let, uh, we have let the um, patients run the asylum. So um, I've, you know, I've started paying attention over the past handful of years, five, six years once I, since I started the DC Project Women for Gun Rights. And you know, it's that now I'm just trying to encourage everybody else to pay attention and get involved because there are, there are a lot of things happening that's right under our nose and we don't think it's going to happen. So we don't want to believe it. We ignore it. We hope it goes away and it's just mastitizing. Is that the right word? Mastitizing? Metastasizing, I think. Metastasizing. It's, it's getting bigger. It's growing. It's, growing. <laughs> it's, growing. it's spreading. <laughs> it's spreading. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt, right? Um, and, you know, when I think this was... I, it seems like everything really started, all the fans started to get a hit with all the shit when Trump announced. It's like, that's when, it was like, that's when a rock was flipped over and it everything was exposed underneath it that we'd all been walking all over the rocks and kind of kicking them down the road and not thinking about it because we're all so busy, right? But it became impossible to ignore what was underneath that rock once it was flipped over and it came to our towns, our villages, my kids and I and Dave, we were in the inaugural parade uh, for Trump and we were told, you know, you can't go down the street because there's cars being lit on fire and all this stuff happening. And it was like perfectly just, oh, well, there's cars being, I'm like, well, excuse me, what? You know? Um, and then it just got crazier and crazier from there. And seeing the law enforcement officers attacked and assaulted the way it has been happening and demonized by people is just, I cannot even imagine. I've spoken to, um, bunch of law enforcement officers over the course of a couple of years. I and mean, we have been lucky to run into you all like active and, and veterans. And a lot of people are saying they would, they would discourage people from going into that profession now because it's, it's not. But who will, do the profession, all that. So, who will do the profession if we discourage good people from going into it? Right. I know. I know. But they're saying they're like, oh, no, I wouldn't. If right. it was my kid, I wouldn't. It, and and they say that with a great amount of regret because they say the same thing as you. Right. But they're like, it's just it's too dangerous. You can't do your job. You're you know, you're being it is, held and, and doing your job. It is. And really, it goes, you know, it, it comes from the top and that trickle down from the the, you know, Police officers think police officers are all the same and they're not. Those people that are working the streets versus the admin, the admin are usually appointed. They're, they're politicians. Chiefs mm -hmm. are politicians. Uh, and the same thing that goes with, you know, the FBI. I am crushed. I have been crushed over the past, uh, you know, six years to see what I believe to be um, massive corruption in the highest levels of our law enforcement. So those I don't. I don't feel I don't feel like the FBI agents in the field are necessarily the ones. I think that they probably have somewhat pure hearts uh, to do a good job. It's just that upper echelon, the admins, these the, the places where um, the liberal mindset has infiltrated of control, whether that be our law enforcement or whether that be our media or our politics, you know, because people think that you're left and you're right. Well, you're not. You're, it's like they're the same. It's the swamp. And that's exactly the rock 
that uh, Trump turned over that you're talking about is that he exposed uh, what kind of swamp creatures they all were. And that's what they're all railing against. So it's very interesting. It's an interesting time to be alive for sure. Interesting is uh, definitely a word. For, it's not boring. Let's put it that way. It is not boring. Uh, it is not um, boring. I know. And so now part of part of the news stories and the news cycles that come around is watching what, well, what already happened in Australia with gun control and then what Canada has picked up and embraced with gun control, Canada being immediately north of us, you know, our, our neighbor there um, and seeing how how their citizens are being disarmed literally and then and then and and how people are just complying with that how um you know they said okay let's turn in your guns and they're turning in in their guns and look what happens then it is that's i feel like that's the last stronghold that is the last barrier between any sense of swinging this pendulum back or not what are your thoughts? You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, Canada is most like our economy, most like our um, values. And to see, I'm very alarmed, uh, but I'm alarmed for America as well. Right. And I can't believe that, you know, again, the people that have been in charge of our education system for the past, what, 30, 50 years have intentionally you know, they've just played the long game and now they've got all the pieces of the puzzle and they're reaping the um, rewards of their hard work. Uh, and that is turning our kids against our country, turning our kids against our countrymen, creating the divide. Um, but I don't think that the people who get it, I don't think that the people who see the freedom slipping away, that see that these infringements are a problem. I don't think that they're uncomfortable enough to do what people in China are doing. You know, right. China is in an uproar. All these places have been, you know, so much more oppressed. They know what real oppression is. Right now, our oppression is, uh, you know, it's just the conservatives. Um, wait until the Christians that are on the left-leaning side. Wait until, you know, it's their hate speech, which this gay marriage bill will create more of a platform for them to say, hey, you Christians are, you're preaching hate. You're, you have hate speech. You should either be canceled or you should be prosecuted. Uh, you know, it's just a slippery slope of um, going towards socialism, going towards communism. And people in America are going to have to become a lot more uncomfortable. Uh, they're going to have to be hungry. They're going to have to be cold. And, and before they stand up. So I'm very concerned about the direction of, of our country and maintaining our freedoms as long as we possibly can. But that's why we're here. That's why we're doing what we do um, is to try to preach the truth. And and if it gets persecuted, you know, I hate to, to remind your audience, but if you're a Christian, you think that Jesus was the son of God and Remember what happened to him. I mean, humans pretty much, we're, we're not, we don't have the best track records about being <laughs> fair. Right. So, yes, I am uh, all too familiar with that uh, in my just. own life as well. Right. Um, all right. So let's talk about the DC project and the other things that you're doing, which look really, um, well, your training looks not only fun, but it looks like 
so important, you know, for, for all that. So I want to talk about that too, but let's go into your DC project and talk, cause you just said that you only started this a few years ago. It was 2016 that we went on our first wow. trip and it was the end of 2015 that I was a tourist in Washington, DC. And a friend of mine, uh, whom you know as well, Jane Horton said, do you want to meet your uh, congressman? And I was totally apathetic. We talked about how I wasn't paying attention to politics, but it was during that meeting. I was like, Hey, is there something that we should be doing as gun owners and professional shooters to help educate the people in this building? And that's really where the DC project, the thought came from. And then I started, you know, massaging it and thinking, well, maybe it's not professional shooters. Maybe it's the women because women can have a stronger voice when it comes to speaking about the second amendment, because we're not your average gun owner. Um, and then I realized that I only had standing in Oklahoma where I was from the time and I had to get friends. So then I started kind of gathering women, one from every state. And we went to Washington, D.C. the first time in 2016. And it turns out that you can actually go see these people and you can actually go tell them what your opinions are. So uh, it's not brain surgery. It just takes a little bit of effort and uh, carving out a little bit of time. Is that still the case? Can you still go to their offices right now yeah. and it was bad them. during it was bad during january 6th uh, aftermath right. and covid uh you know so, well i'll tell you this the last trip we went into in september of this year uh there's a lot of democrat offices that still aren't open yeah. uh, okay. majority of the republicans are are there i didn't run into one republican that uh that the office said that you know we're not we're not open to to seeing our our bosses right <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> Which I think that power there is flipped too often. Yeah. Um, and before I forget, because I do want to talk about your professional shooting career, get, talk about that too. And because I want to give people some context about okay. your experience and your expertise with firearms. Okay. So I was a uh, police officer for 22 years in Tulsa, Oklahoma. My assignments included, you know, everybody starts out on the street in a car. Um, I love that. That's where I finished too. Uh, but I had gangs, narcotics. I had all the fun ones and and had a blast. It, the 22 years went by really fast. Um, and I appreciate the experience that I got there. But, you know, I, ha I have some experience with violence. I have some experience with firearms. So I feel like, you know, when we go up to Washington, D.C. And, and I testify, for example, I feel like you should listen to me as opposed to mom's demand action founder, Shannon Watts, who is a, a marketing executive. I, I, you know, that's what makes sense. But she has, I mentioned Moms Demand because they're an anti-gun Bloomberg funded group uh, to the tune of $60 million, give or take millions a year. And so this is a David and Goliath situation. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we are tiny compared to them, um, but we are truly, we are truly grassroots and we have the truth on our side. So we do what we can. Um, looking, you know, maybe Elon Musk is our, our going to be our, our Bloomberg. But until that happens, we're just going to keep uh, preaching the truth that education is the key to firearm safety and violence prevention and that gun rights are women's rights. I mean, it's the great equalizer. And I'm not a, as well equipped as a man to, to take care of a physical altercation. Yeah, um, for sure. I've been in a couple situations in my life where I was you know, woefully outmatched, you know, and uh, had I had the firearm and known how to use it properly, it would have been a different 
a different feeling of security and probably a little bit of a different outcome as well. Or perhaps it would have never happened, you know, right, right. if it had been known, or even little things. You know, you and I had had conversation prior to this and we talked about how people so often, almost every news story you see, any documentary you see, the one of the most often uttered phrases or some version of this phrase is, you always see it on TV, but you never expect it to happen to you. You know, it never happens in a town like this. I feel like we've been saying that about our country, you know, this would never happen in a country like this. And yet here we are, people, we've been locked down. We've been censored, shunned, banned, threatening, rioted, looted. So I think that phrase needs to go out the window. Um, I've always thought that phrase needs to go out the window that you never think it'll happen to you, but talk about the training that you do um, for all these people who are, who may still be listening and say, well, this will never happen to me. That only happens to other people, you know, a certain scenario. Like I'm never, what are the odds I'm going to get carjacked or somebody's going to bash in my front door and, right. and come after me. Right. So talk the about odds, your experience with that. Yeah. The odds are that nothing is going to happen, but you train for those times that it, it does. And you will only rise to the level of your training. So it's important for you to at least dip your toe into that training world and say, you know, hey, how do I, you know, I don't want to carry a gun maybe, but how do I become a harder target? And there's a place down in um, Florida called Waft where our families train. And it's outside of Orlando. And it's the most amazing training I've experienced even through 22 years of law enforcement. So anybody can check that out, waft.com. And you really practice on it, it's scenario based training is its specialty, its uniqueness. And you can practice walking to your car in the dark with a flashlight. You can, you know, see how a flashlight can be effective. You can uh, do a lot to be able to protect yourself without, you know, the, avoiding a problem and recognizing the problem is coming and avoiding it to, to begin with, as opposed to, you know, how do I just get out of it? So there's a there's a huge world there that you can never train enough. Uh, and, and, and it really is fun. So I call it tactical Disneyland because it's in Orlando and, and, um, and it's more like a resort than it is a range. It's very, uh, bougie, bougie is the word for the year and it's a very bougie place and, and it, it costs as much as Disneyland. So it all applies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there is something definitely to be said for situational awareness, even in that training, both literally and figuratively. But as you just mentioned, Disney, did I just see a headline somewhere? And I'm guilty of just seeing the headline and not digging into this yet. But the CEO has said that it's upon them at Disney to to enforce push. gun control or to push, push it. gun control. To push gun control. Yes. Uh, yeah. He was at a Sandy Hook. Um, memorial event and um, yeah, said that people with more reach or more power or more, uh, you know, more exposure has, has a responsibility to push gun control. So I, we put on the DC project, we put little Mickey Mouse ears and said, you need to write a letter to Mr. Iger and tell him that uh, this is, you know, just stay out of our constitution, stay out of the woke politics that, you know, are going to hurt at least half of your business. But right. I, I honestly believe they think they're morally superior and, and that they have the truth. Don't don't look at the statistics of where these gun control policies already exist, because common sense tells tells me I should look at you know history and look at Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, all these places that have the most strict gun control have the most violent crime. So their policies, failures don't 
don't phase them at all because when I started this whole deal, safety is not the point. It's chaos and it's disarmament is the point. When you look at it through that lens, it all makes sense. Talk for a minute about what the Second Amendment and its preservation has to do with with freedom. What's at risk if it goes away? I I believe that the Second Amendment is the capstone of our entire constitution. It's the capstone of our entire freedom. Because without being able to protect that, you have nothing. You are slaves. You come, you, you, you start from, from a citizenry, an armed citizenry, and look at Venezuela. A short, what, 15 years ago that they gave up all their guns. Now they're starving. Uh, they're under tyranny. Uh, it's just total and dismal. It's just dismal. And I just wish that we had the messaging. You know, it's really hard to speak the truth when you're censored, when you don't have the mm-hmm. megaphone. And when these people who do have the megaphone have all of the ears. So, uh, you know, it's just like the starfish on the beach, pick them up one at a time and you throw them back in. (laughs) Right. Um, so for all the, I think the most common arguments I hear in support of banning weapons, um, banning firearms from people are a, you don't need an AK to go deer hunting. Right. Or that's like a line I hear over and over. That's standards. That's deer. You don't need 20 rounds. They shoot a deer. Uh, idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, people just citing, oh, look, another toddler found a unsecure weapon and died as a result of it. Or this kid brought a gun into his high school and shot everybody up. And that's because that's why we shouldn't have have guns. Nobody should have access to guns anymore. And then they're in support of the I think New York actually just implemented another round of red flag laws. I have to double check. Um but you know what are your what are some of the pushbacks that you guys have that can maybe help somebody who who just doesn't know who doesn't dig into the issues but you know of course nobody wants to see innocent students innocent people being gunned down of course nobody wants to send their child to school and worry that they're going to be killed there right of course so there that fear and that that need to protect your family and yourself is being manipulated all right uh, that's a great word in this course. So what, what are some of the, the antidotes to that? Some things that we could tell people to kind of help switch that narrative. Sure. Well, and first of all, they, they say they'll start out their plea for restrictions with nobody's coming for your guns. We just want to do X. We just want to do Y. We just want to do Z. Uh, just this past summer, uh, bipartisan uh, gun control, biggest thing they've done uh, and, and all it did was bribe states to um, enact red flag laws, which as a police officer, the red flag laws don't mean they don't make a difference. We have as law enforcement, we have a vehicle to help people who are a crisis uh, or a threat to themselves or others. So I don't need this red flag law because if you are truly a threat to yourself or a threat to others, I take you, uh, you know, where's, where's, what sense does it make to say, oh, I, I need your guns. Have a good day. You're right. in crisis. You're a threat to somebody, you know, you're going to take all their gun, all their guns, all their knives. No, they just want the guns because it's about control. It's not about safety. So I would recommend this. If any of your listeners are really, truly interested in having something to say, 
the dcproject.info, I-N-F-O, we have on our landing page, we have like a downloadable one-page document. And it goes over all the talking points, well, not all the talking points, but the top like two or three rebuttals to gun-free zones, uh, to red flag laws, to universal background checks. Everybody, every gun owner needs to know why we oppose universal background checks. And the reason we oppose universal background checks is because it's the last hurdle the government needs to identify every gun that's in this country. And when they are able to do that, when they clear that hurdle, it will be, it could be days, it could be months, it could be weeks, years, or like Canada, it could be, it's a light switch of saying all these guns right here, you need to turn those in or you become a criminal. So that's why I oppose a universal background check. Um, I do not believe, you know, all, a lot of these murderers, the government is inept. So you're telling me that you want me to register everything and that's going to prevent it. But all these places that do have stricter gun control laws, um, the, the Sutherland Springs, I think it's Sutherland Springs, Texas church murder. He should have been on a NICS list. He should have not been able to buy a firearm, but the government failed. So it, it, you know, it sounds good. I feel their hearts. They want to do something. They want to see something done to protect the children. It's just all a lie. Yeah, it is. And again, I think that's where education comes in over um, legislation. Over more rules over legislation. There you go. <laughs> that is your. Yeah, your, I brought our your shirt. Yeah. So one of the things. One of the things there that we did when I testified the first time in 2019 is. I started realizing that mom's demand action was a thing. They have a red shirt that has uh, mom's demand on it. And they're very bullish, very Antifa like, you know, um, and not really nice when it it comes to getting their way. So I knew that they would be in the galley when we, when I went and testified. So we picked teal and we created that shirt and we had our own presence. And that's why, you know, this Thursday, there's a um, there's a hearing in Washington D.C. and we're trying to get a group of ladies to show up because the same thing's going to happen. Mom's demand is going to be sitting there in the audience, and I want to see this this the, the opposite message to everybody sitting there that there are women that look like us that want to be able to defend ourselves and think that your policies are failures. That's what they need to hear. Yeah, for sure. So anybody can just show up to that hearing? I think they are open to the public again. I need to check with um, with my contact there. And uh, I'm pretty sure that we can get uh, through the minority is the Republicans right now. And they they're the you know, the, the majority in the minority, they will have the majority has control. So I bet you you'll see anywhere from three to five people, witnesses for the majority and maybe one or two for the minority, because that's what the majority gives them. Does that sound fair? Does that sound like a good, honest conversation? No, but that's how things happen in Washington, D.C. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll see some teal on that, on that C-SPAN because C-SPAN's all over, you know, it's all over it. And, and uh, whether I, whether I get to go or not, I'll be watching it. Yeah, good. And obviously by the time this uh, interview airs, that hearing will have taken place, but I could put an update uh, in the little write-up that we do to 
you know, let people know how that goes and to encourage everyone to get out there and go to these, especially if you are in the Washington, D.C. area and it's not a giant journey for you. But, uh, you know, there's local meetings and all that. Dave and I, we're guilty. We haven't gone. We haven't gotten engaged in uh, too much in the local government other than supporting the candidates that we believe in locally. You know, we go to their events and we support them every way we can, but we haven't actually, you know, shown up to serve on a committee or something uh, yet. So um, that, I can't sit here. Hmm? I'm glad you brought that up because that's where the change is going to start locally. Um, yeah. You know, we go to Washington, D.C. and try to make a, a ripple, but uh, the where you can make a change is locally. So I would say start, you know, obviously start with the school board. Uh, and then really dig into who's running your cities and what direction they're taking you. Yeah, we have uh, we happen to live in a, in a very in a liberal state, in a liberal county, in a liberal town. So wow. we are um, we're we're really feeling it. And I don't say this, you know, I'm not out there saying all people who are on the left are bad people or want bad things. I am just saying we live surrounded by people who um, are on the more extreme side of it. You know, you walk into some shops and some of the things they have there for sale or the signs they have up. There's always these protesters in the street um, just holding up the most ridiculous signs when you, you know, when you walk by and all that. So, and of course uh, I call her Heil Hochul. She's just now fully um, about to... (laughs) to relish in her newly elected power, which I cannot for the life of me understand why people. I can understand it. I can understand it. Now I watch, uh, I, you know, it's pretty blatant in Arizona. Pretty blatant. No kidding. I bet it's, I bet it's a lot more discreet in, in New York, but honestly, these people that have been in control, they, they, they told you, they told you that they had to beat Trump by any means necessary. Yes. I mean, you want to talk about voter suppression, right? Everyone's all their panties are in a wad about voter suppression, supposedly in Georgia and other states, but I have never seen more blatant voter suppression than what just happened in Arizona. Um, And I think, again, it's because they know they can. And I think that this is, it's another circle back to the second amendment, because if they, you know, these people are already pushing their will and their power and distorting, abusing their power in such ways. Imagine, imagine what will happen if if American citizens are told to turn in their firearms. Like what, I cannot imagine that people do not understand the gravity of this situation uh, or that they're so easily swayed into believing that that is the solution. What do you see um, is one of the most imminent sort of uh, threats or concerning signs for for the Second Amendment right now? What are some of the things happening? Um, well, the most imminent for the Second Amendment specifically is uh, they're, just, they're just never going to stop. You know, they hail this bipartisan bill that they passed this summer as the, you know, the best thing ever. But we're going to have a hearing on the same issue, pushing the same further restrictions because it's not enough. Um, so it, it's just, it's diligence. You have to, you have to do, you have to stay in the fight um, because they're never going to stop. And remember, it's not about safety, but that's the, that's the ploy that they use. It's not about safety. It's about disarmament in my opinion. So um, it's, 
it's really up to us. It's really up to the citizens of the United States. What, you know, do you want to be subjects or do you want to be um, slaves? Yeah. And now let's talk about the the makeup of the GC project and it being an all women thing, because, um, you know, I I wind up interviewing so many amazing, strong leaders in this country, and the majority of them are are men. Those are the people that I find and connect with and who respond back. Yes, though, they want to come on and be a part of our platform. They believe in what we're doing. So I was especially excited to be connected with you uh, and a couple other women who I get to interview now um, as strong women leaders. But talk a little bit about that in terms of being a woman and coming to the forefront and taking a leadership role and advocate role and reaching out and connecting with other women who want to do the same. I don't know. Is it your experience as well that it is, you know, less that women are less out there than, than men, or is that just my own little. Uh, it sounds like here? people come from male dominated, uh, you know, families, male dominated uh, industries, sports, uh, employments. So yeah, it was tough for me. And, you know, I didn't like, I was more of a tomboy. Um, but I didn't like, I didn't think I liked being around a lot of women and being catty and things like that. But I think a lot of that was my own misconception of I'm having a great time with, uh, the girls of the DC project. And you mentioned, you know, that we're kind of outliers, but this is what's so amazing about the second amendment is that second amendment is for everyone. Every American citizen, uh, can lay claim to the second amendment. And you're seeing that we, women are the fastest growing demographic. Black women are a fast growing demographic, the black community. Um, we've got really powerhouses within the black community of taking the second amendment back to them. Uh, Maj Ture with black guns matter, Tony Simon with two A's for everyone. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, Asians, um, Chris Chang, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Chang, but he has, um, the Asian Pacific uh, Asian group that, you know, it's just amazing that all these groups are starting to grow, grow and grow and get some traction supporting the second amendment because it's, it's really the glue that holds us all together, uh, is the constitution and, and the second amendment is that capstone, like I mentioned earlier. Awesome. All right. So here in the last couple of minutes, I got to ask you, this is the Flex Your Freedom show. So it may be a little, maybe a little cheesy, but what? it's always an interesting answer. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. I have <laughs> sleeves on. You can't see my guns. <laughs> um, yes, she could snap me like a twig. Um, but I, I could throw hay bales all day, but I feel like that's, that's all know, I could do too. Not quite up there. But yeah. So what does, in a very simple question, you know, what does freedom actually mean to you? You know, I think freedom is one of those things that's kind of like, kind of like your teeth in dentistry. You don't realize how important it is until it hurts or it's gone. So freedom to me is, I've been in places that I've been to China, I've been to uh, Italy, France, uh, I've been to a few places around the world and I pay attention now to uh, things that go on in those countries, Venezuela, um, I'm just kind of awakening to the way of the world and to, to recognize and to realize that 
America is really the last bastion of freedom, whatever freedom we have left, because honestly, I feel like we're already down the track mm-hmm. uh, and, and the freedom is in our rearview mirror. Um, but man, I'm, I'm trying to dig my heels in and, and stop the train and get it to go in reverse. So, uh, freedom is, is life to me. You know, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that you really can't put a a value on or, and think about the men who founded this country, what they left behind. That's what we're not willing uh, today as patriots to do is, you know, we've got, We've got soccer games, we've got kids, we've got a mortgage, and we think that those things are more important than stepping up and standing up for freedom. And until we get suppressed even more to the point where it hurts, I don't think that you're going to see us do anything about it. We're just going to take it on the chin until it's long gone. And that's very sad. I want to, I want to, let's do something about that. Yes. Um, I mean, we're doing our best in our own way to at least um, not let the voice of freedom be drowned out and to remind people that it's so important and that we all do have a voice. But that does lead me. I'm glad you I'm glad you answered that the way it did, because it brought to mind another thing that um, I have been hearing a little bit of. And that is um, uh, from from some people who were once out there doing what we're doing and saying what we're doing and now have reversed their position, just saying, you know what? It's over. It's it. We need to just pray. Uh, Everybody who is out there still trying to change things in America, change things in the world, we're missing the point. The point is all about God and prayer and being ready for the rapture. And that's where we're at now. So that by doing what we're doing, we're just wasting time and energy and not serving God's will um, by you know, that, that we're supposed to at this point, just surrender it all and, and turn it over to prayer. What would you say to that? I have, I know exactly where this person is coming from. Um, but, um, I'll just stay in prayer. I'll stay in prayer. And I feel like this is God, God's pushing me into this direction. Cause I sure as heck didn't have any desire to create an entire, <laughs> you know, organization. Now we're at, when I was state directors in every state and anybody can join or a true organization. Um, that's not for me. So as long as I feel God pushing me forward in this and this lane, I'm going to continue to pray and do or do God's work as well as, um, advocate for, um, the second amendment, because it's really all the same. It's witnessing, you know, if you can't witness for Christ, you can't witness for the second amendment. You have to be, you know, you have to really be a, a disciple of Christ to witness for him. Cause if you don't know what to say, you don't know, you know, if you don't have any stories, you don't know what to say, you really can't effectively meet, reach people. And the same goes with the second amendment and being a patriot. If you don't know anything about history and constitution and second amendment, and you really don't have anything to say to influence your friends, your families, and your communities, then you are uh, just an ineffective uh, communicator. So ambassadoracademy.com, or actually it's not .com, it's .info. Ambassadoracademy.info is a five-day training academy that we practice Second Amendment, focused on Second Amendment. So we do a lot of different things, social media, um, film and edit, things that you need in these days. And then we highly focus on the communication issue of, uh, you know, how do you reach people and, and witness to them? Awesome. And that was going to be my next thing is where can people go to find out about the programs. So you have the DC project, you have the, what? 
dcproject.info, dcproject.info, and then ambassadoracademy.info. Okay. And then you also work with um, where our families train WAFT? WAFT.com. Yes. WAFT.com. All right. Those are all really um, powerful. I love that. I love that. Um, I know people sit back and say, oh my gosh, this problem is so big. I can't possibly do anything to to go up against it, you know, the whole David versus Goliath thing. But, you know, when you build an army of Davids, you take, you know, one David took the Goliath down, right? Imagine what an army could do. It's just, I think a lot of it is mindset and mentality. And like you said, if we're going to just roll over and give up and play dead, then, you know, what's the point of, of any of it really? And for me, having lost my husband in service, I can't just roll over and, and let that sacrifice be for nothing. So that's, largely what drives me, but I think that it shouldn't take somebody in somebody that you love being killed in service to understand and acknowledge how important this all is. Um, you just got to know, otherwise one day all of our families will be suffering that loss. And that's what I really, I really believe as well. So Diana, thank you. Thank you really so much for doing what you're, you're doing is so important. I'm definitely going to hop on and join and support now and be a part of it uh, because I just, I love so many aspects of it. It's all so important. And I'm not even really proficient in firearms, right? But I see the value in it. I did get my my license. I went through the gauntlet in New York and got my license and I'm learning and I'm growing. So I am, you know, a new a new um, license holder and all that in New York. But just goes to show you don't have to be a little whippersnapper to do new stuff, right? right? You can do this at any age and go for it. And I think it's important. So I'm excited to be a part of it. So thank you for providing that outlet for people like me to, to help. Yeah. Well, thank you. And it's free to join the DC project. Of course, we always need support. So tell your friends, tell your Elon Musk friends that we've got a big uh, Goliath that we're trying to slay and that we need everybody's help. We just need, we need membership, but we also need financial support like everybody. And, um, I, I'm so thankful to have run our paths crossed and, and what you do and what your family's been through. And um, just that you came out a warrior is, is really cool. 